Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. Today, we're visiting with Jeff Streit, preacher at the Church of Christ at Logansport, Indiana. Now, Jeff, I've read your post on social media from time to time, but we've just met a few days ago when Beth and I had the opportunity to worship with your congregation during the Saturday night revival service where our friend evangelist Aaron Davis was preaching. It, it was, boy, that was a good revival. And uh, then you blessed us by bringing a lot of folks from Logansport, 30 miles north to Kiwana on Sunday night where I'm preaching revival. And uh, I'd like to start by thanking you for coming. You and your enthusiastic folks were a great encouragement to us all. And that said, I really want to get to know you better, brother. So, Brother Jeff, tell us your story. Tell us your story. Well, uh, I've always been kind of on the outskirts of the brotherhood. Um, my home church is the Church of Christ up in Angola, Indiana. Yeah. Uh, but it was like I didn't know anybody outside of that church within our brotherhood. In fact, I outside of going to uh, uh, the Bible Bowl down in uh, Texas, that was the only exposure I had to uh, people outside of our brotherhood. Uh, and the first church I served was you know, kind of isolated and didn't get much involvement in the brotherhood, the same way the, the next church I was at. Uh, now here at, at Logansport, where I'm serving now, uh, seems like every time I turn around, I'm, I'm involved with some aspect of our brotherhood, getting to meet different people and stuff. Right. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting. You kind of feel like I missed out to some degree in the past. Uh, but the church I grew up in was kind of a mega church of its day. They ran about six to seven hundred. Uh, they had some of the best preachers that money could buy, basically. <laughs> and they were seriously good preachers. Right. Uh, Ken Mathis was the preacher at the church when I was there. Uh, when I made my decision. And I was like 12 years old, and I saw him, saw how he preached, and I thought, I want to be like that man. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, he baptized me, uh, and, uh, and I wanted to be a preacher, but it was one of those things that was always in the background of my mind. It wasn't like, you know, like I was on fire and, and witnessing for Jesus every time I turned around. I, you know, I just plodded through my faith at that point. Um, when I went to Purdue for a couple of years, that changed um, because, uh, well, I didn't have to go to church, so I didn't. And uh, uh, I wanted to be a preacher. It's just it, I wasn't taking it very seriously, if you will. And uh, but while I was there, I thought, well, if I'm going to be a preacher, you know, I at least ought to read the book. Read right. the Bible, and I'd not really done that up to that point. I had good classes and heard good sermons and such. But uh, Bible I, reading is kind of essential if you're going to preach. You would think. Sooner <laughs> later. Uh, and actually, took me a while to learn that too, Jeff. That's actually, that's kind of helped me because a lot of times, as I'm reading things, I get surprised by things that I've never seen before. Yeah, and uh, so that kind of drives my preaching is to to look for those surprises. Uh, but while I was there, see, my home community was a college town. And being a college town, uh, there was the, the feeling that the Bible was a boring book, which is probably why I didn't read it, and that it was filled with errors. Mm -hmm. It's not a trustworthy book. And so I thought, well, here I am at Purdue. You know, I want to find out if it's a boring book or not. I'm going to read this thing. So I, I read everything but the, the, uh, the poetry, the... Uh, Prophecy and the Who Begat Who's. Right. I, you know, I, I pass over all of that. And I found it was a pretty interesting book. I was getting, so I was, uh, you know, I'd set time aside, put out a Bible and a commentary and a Bible dictionary. And uh, you didn't realize you were doing devotionals, do you? <laughs> uh, it was beyond devotionals. Yeah. You know, because a devotional thing, to, a mindset of me, right. is to do something like five or ten minutes a day. Right. Uh, this is one of the things that it almost consumed me as I was reading it. Right. And uh, but my next objective was to find out if there were errors in the book. And uh, Purdue, not being a Bible college, it was a, a prime real estate situation to find out about what accusations people had against Scripture. 
And as I was, you know, I would listen in and I would ask questions. And most of the the accusations they had were more like, you know, I saw Fred going down the street with a pretty girl. He must be uh, fooling around on his wife. You know, there's no proof to it. It's just that's what they want to say. And right. they make an accusation, and, and that's the foundation of their objection. Right. But uh, as I was telling you last night, the one, the one objection that shook me uh, really made a difference in my perception of Scripture. Uh, I was in a philosophy class. You know, I took psychology, I took sociology, because Purdue is an engineering college. I went there because my brother said I needed to go and be part of the glee club there, and, and Dad was willing to pay the freight, so I said, sure, I'll go. <laughs> and, uh, but I tried to focus on things I thought would help me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so philosophy seemed to be kind of in gear with where I was trying to go. And the philosophy professor... Uh, made the comment. He says, uh, Jesus didn't die on the cross, and I can prove it. He says, when a person dies, their heart stops pumping. Their heart stops pumping, gravity takes over, and the blood flows through the lower part of the body. He says, now when it talks about Jesus being crucified on the cross, here he is with his arms stretched out, and it says he gave up the spirit and he died. But then, you know, not much longer after that, a Roman soldier comes along, takes a spear, pierces Jesus' side, and blood and water come out. And he says, well, if Jesus was dead, that blood shouldn't have been there. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounded pretty good. So I went back to my dorm, and I had a talk with God. And I said, God, look, this is a problem. I says, now, if, if you can deal with it, that's great. But if you can't, I'm going to sell insurance. i got no time to preach and try to defend something I can't defend. And uh, bear in mind, you know, my, my total religious education was nil compared to a lot of people that you may know. Right. But uh, uh, I didn't go to talk to a preacher. I didn't go down to the campus house. It's a great campus house there at Purdue. But what I, I did was I just waited for God. And uh, God supplied. It was like a month later. I'm in another philosophy class. Uh, the class is over, the teacher is at his desk, and there's like five or six students there at his, his desk. And I thought, well, I'll just go over and listen to what they're talking about. And uh, he said, I learned the most intriguing thing this past weekend. He says, you remember in Scripture when Jesus died on the cross? Well, Purdue's not a Bible college. And you didn't I, expect to hear that, did I you? I didn't expect that to hear that. No. And I, I'm listening a little closer, and he says... Uh, do you remember it says the Roman soldier pierced his side and blood and water come out? Well, now he really had my attention. And he said, there is a condition known as cardiac tamponade. And what happens with cardiac tamponade is a person, it's a rare, rare condition, but a person can undergo enough stress that their heart will literally burst. And when that happens, there's a sac around the heart known as the pericardium, and the blood from the heart would mix with that liquid in the pericardium that looks like water. He says, if you were to pierce that sac after somebody had, in, had gone through this experience, what you'd see come out would be blood and water. And that makes sense, because if I cut your arm, blood and water don't come out. Right. Just blood. And the scripture says that the cross didn't kill Jesus. It was... the. The, uh, the, he gave up control of the body. You know, he said, it is finished, and he died. Well, all the sins of all mankind from, from the beginning of creation until the end of time were on the body of Jesus at that one point in time. And Jesus gives up control. It's like a, like a rubber band snap, and of course the heart would burst. Right. So I'm impressed by this. In fact, I am so impressed. And I go to Bible college, and I'm going to share my wisdom with the Bible college professors there. But they're Bible college professors a lot of times because they know stuff like this. And they're very patient with me as I'm explaining what I have learned. And one of the guys says, oh, Jeff, it's better than that. He says, Passover was, was a major sacrifice day. People were lined up around the block with their lambs to have them sacrificed so they could take them home and uh, have their, their Passover meal. He says, now, in the Bible it says... <clears throat> that Jesus died, went on the cross. When he was crucified, he was put on the cross at nine in the morning and he died at three in the afternoon. 
Right. It says, now, Passover, um, they started their sacrifices at 9 in the morning, and the last one was at 3 in the mm-hmm. afternoon. Now, I don't know if it was you that told me they, they even blow a trumpet when they... they uh, no, that wasn't I me. Mean, that may have been... You were speaking... It might have been Darren Davis. I'm right. not sure who told me that, but somebody told me that. Right, but that, I didn't know that. That's yeah. true, yeah. And uh, he says, now... Underneath the temple, Herod had rebuilt or refurbished, if you will, the temple. And underneath the temple was the uh, the tunnel of Hezekiah, which would take water from a, a water source in the north and bring it down to, I believe, the pool of Siloam. And Herod apparently had developed a way of pumping that water up and washing down the altar and the, and the floor of the, the temple and the utensils and such. Of course, that liquid's got to go someplace. And they either had a trench or a pipe, but this part, I, I got all the stuff in my files. Uh, but that, this part, they don't seem to know. But somehow that liquid got out underneath the walls of the city into the, 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 the Kidron Valley where the brook goes by. And uh, one man in my files is, is that uh, farmers would go down to the, the banks of the Kidron and collect mud from there because it was drenched with that blood. It was good fertilizer for the fields. Now, if you've been seated outside the city walls about 3.30 in the afternoon, what you'd have seen coming out the pipes would have been blood and water. water. Yeah. Okay. Now, that shook my tree. All right? right. Well, what really shook my tree was that there's only one gospel that records the Roman soldier piercing Jesus' side. That's the gospel of John. And John doesn't care. It's a throwaway line for him. All he cares that his readers know is that the bones of Jesus were not broken because a sacrifice whose bones were broken was not acceptable to God. He said, I was there. I saw they didn't do it. The Roman soldier pierced his side to prove he was dead and blood and water came out. I tell people, if I had lived in that day, there would have been a gospel of Jeff <laughs> and it would have recorded everything I just, just told you and our, our, our listeners here mm-hmm. uh, because it was so impressive. And about 10 years ago, I have, you know, I shared with you my illustrations, several thousands of them. And I, I put them, or I had a friend of mine put them on our webpage. Um, and amongst those illustrations is a file on atheism. Well, apparently, one of the atheists in the, in the neighborhood, uh, you know, around the United States, read those, those things. And they're pretty good quotes by different people and such and they were not happy with them and so three atheists sent me emails and they were challenging me and they wanted to debate me well I don't want to debate anybody I just put it out there for people to read and my first inclination was to just let it go because I don't don't have time to argue with people time is a big Big problem for preachers. You got so much going on, well, and, and just, now someone wants to argue with you. Yeah, yeah I understand. I don't care where it's at. I just don't like to argue. Sure, it's not my nature. Uh, but uh, I prayed about it, and I thought, well, there's three of these guys. If there was just one or two, I could just say I just let go. But there's three of them. It's like you know the, the vision that Peter receives of the of the uh, cloth coming out of the the, of the sky with all the different animals in it. It was three times that happens. I thought, well. Okay, well, God, here's the deal. I says, as long as I can quote scripture, as long as I don't get into to fruitless arguments, uh, I'll be good. And the first guy, uh, he, uh, all his emails were in all capital letters. Uh-huh. Okay, and you know, in, in email parlance, that means he's shouting at you. And I said, do you realize that's how it comes across? He says, I meant it to be that way. I thought, Okay, argumentative guy, not messing with him, so I dropped that. Mm-hmm. Next guy actually said, just because I say I'm an atheist doesn't mean I don't believe in God. Well, now that's... <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so, so I quote him out of a dictionary, and he replied to me, uh, that's, that encyclopedia has been influenced by the church, and you can't trust it. Okay, so I go down to the, to the library, Oxford Dictionary. There's like 15 volumes down at the library of Oxford's Dictionary. I've always wondered one of these things. And <laughs> I, I go to atheism because it says, you know, don't believe in God. So I copy that and send it off to him. 
And uh, he replied, he says, Oxford Dictionary has been influenced by the church you can't trust. Them. And so in my files, I have a quote from, uh, I forget, uh, it's, it's Alice in Wonderland. Alice is talking to Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, Humpty Dumpty. And uh, he makes a comment about something. He says, she says, well, basically, that's not what that word means. And he says, a word means exactly what I say it means, whether neither more nor less. Ah, okay. So I sent that off to just joking. <laughs> and he, he uh, emails me back and he says, you got to compare me to Humpty Dumpty. This conversation's over. I thought, okay, okay that's fine with me. And, uh, but the third guy was the one that bothered me because he was a professor. He had his own atheist website. In fact, he wanted to intimidate me. He says, our conversation, I'm going to record and put on my website so that all my web, all my atheist friends can laugh at you basically mm-hmm. and uh, but I promised God I says we're gonna you know I'm gonna stay out of arguments I'm gonna quote scripture and uh, yeah I was doing pretty good with this guy you know after a while I began to realize that, that he wasn't as scary as it came across you know because this guy's smarter than I am uh, but as well we, well, in his mind and in mine. And in the world's mind, too, yeah. I'd say. Maybe yeah. maybe degrees or one yeah. thing or another. I, I get intimidated just like everybody else. Yeah, sure. And this guy, uh, we, we interchanged for about three or four months. And he finally says, Jeff, you're not listening to me. He says, you're giving me your answers uh, that you learned in Bible college. He says, and you're telling me why you believe what you believe based on those answers. I says, I don't care about those. Well, I want to know is why you believe uh, what you believe. And I thought about that for a moment. I said, oh, okay. Why do I believe what I believe? And I didn't know. I had to think about it for a while. Mm-hmm. And my mind went back to the story of cardiac tamponade. And so I wrote it all out for him. I sent it to him in an email. And he never replied again. Because you can't argue against that. I mean, yeah. it's, it shows the the interwovenness of scripture and the the uh, a pattern of, of wisdom in God's word that goes beyond anything that a mortal man can come up with. I mean, it is intricate. And so that that made it to the point where uh, you know, I have nothing but uh, distaste for people I call yar, uh, 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 yarn pullers. Mm-hmm. You know, a person pulls a little bit of yarn here and, and after a while they the sweater becomes unraveled. And right. there are people, even in our brotherhood, that unravel scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, and they do it because they want to look smart. Yeah. And you know, I, I won't back off on that because that's why they do it. Right. And I have nothing but contempt for that because what they end up doing is they unravel the faith of people. And I came from a church that had their faith unraveled because of some individual like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, the only times I go to war, and I do go to war, is when somebody attacks the church or attacks God's word. Those things I don't allow for. Right. Uh, now, I won't, I won't call people names, and I won't uh, uh, insult their parentage or anything of that sort. Right. But I, I will put them on. Right. And, uh, you know, I've lost more Facebook friends that way. <laughs> but we had, in our own brotherhood, we had a guy that, uh, he was talking about CE and and uh, what is it? Uh, it's a common era, CE and before common era. Right, and, right. Okay. Yeah. And I said, and he was, he was a, a, a family minister at one of our larger churches. I says, you can't be serious. You're giving ground to these people? Mm-hmm. And uh, he was affected by that. And he was sharing that he thought the Bible had errors in it. I says, if you were in our church, you wouldn't get anywhere near anyone to teach. And two of his friends got upset about that. And I said, well, I'm sure he's a great guy to go out and have a, co- a, a Coke and a hamburger with. But that's wrong. And a man of God who represents the, 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 the word of God should never do that. Right. And uh, those guys never wrote back after that. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> well, we have to take a stand. And... and, yeah. and uh, in our in our brotherhood, we have listeners, I'm sure, from all across the board and, and every kind of background because they're all over the world. So you know, I don't I don't think just everyone is from uh, what we call the Restoration Movement, the Independent Christian Church, the Church of Christ. But 
uh, let's just get honest about it. Um, I, I came out of denominationalism, yeah. and 30 years ago, uh, I've been a Christian for 40s, <laughs> I don't know, Plus. close to 50 <laughs> years, close to 50 years now. And uh, since 1974, how many of that? 48 years. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I never would have thought all those years ago that we would have to defend uh, basic truths uh, in the Bible church that, that, uh, that we just know they're there. I mean, one of the reasons I've, I, I uh, accepted Christ and, and, and stayed within the Independent Christian Church, the Church of Christ, is I knew I can always preach the Bible. I know we have a firm foundation in the scriptures and uh, we're not seeing that so much more. And, and I'm being honest too from people I've talked to from the denominational world, the, sure. the more uh, conservative denominations. Sure. Going through the same thing, going through the same thing, and and uh, and and uh, yeah, let's 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 agree that we don't agree with them and uh, on, on a lot of basics, and that's that that's okay. But what I'm saying is, what is happening in the world has affected the church. The church is not affecting the world. The world has affected the church in the last thirty years in ways that I never thought would be possible, and it's harder. Uh, I feel for the guy. I've been traveling 18 years now, mm-hmm. and people say we admire what you do, Tom. All that traveling, and yeah, it's physically hard. But I'm gonna tell you, Jeff, what's hard is meeting the same people at the back door week after week. <laughs> I did that for 29 years, and I know the many times people would just let me have it for preaching the Bible, and they, well, my family thinks that's all right, and we do that. Right. I cannot imagine now the way the world has changed in the past 18 years. Yeah. what you guys are going through at the back door in so many churches. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I see, I see why some of our guys are just giving uh, lessons rather than preaching the Bible because they've gotten beat down so much. And I don't agree with it, right. but I see it. Well, what I've noticed, you know, there's a couple of threads there involved, but one of the threads that kind of tie in where you're coming from I had a guy visit one time, run about 150 at the time before COVID. And uh, he says, it must be tough having 150 bosses. I says, <laughs> I don't have 150 bosses. That's right. I only have one boss. I serve 150 people, but I only work for God. I've been fired from two churches because I refuse to toe the line. That's right. And yeah. uh, I don't mind being fired for that reason. Now, if it's because I'm incompetent or lazy, well, it's on me. But if I'm going to stand against immorality or against uh, uh, you know some picky uh, unique people that are uh, last year I certainly had like a third of them were pagans. I know they were. They were lifelong members there, but they were pagans yeah. by how they behaved. And uh, I just know that. But I don't work for them. That's right. I work for God. Now the the difference is this. Um, if I'm worried about what somebody says to me, then I'm working for them. Don't do that. That's right. You you work for God. Mm -hmm. Now, a little farther into your thought that you introduced, uh, I'm not surprised by what's happening in our brotherhood, okay? Because it's repeated itself in history over and over again. Absolutely. You know, for example, our nation began with, you know, our big, big mind says the Pilgrims. Well, the pilgrims, you know, they established a, a heavily religious community. And within about 50 years, uh, it was a, a successful. There were people, you know, the church didn't have the impact it once had. But then they had the Great Revival, the Great Awakening, they call it. And that had impact for a while. But even that began to lose its influence. They had the second Great Awakening. You know, and so I don't, I don't worry about the ebbs and flows of history, mm-hmm. even with our own, our own brotherhood, uh, because even in our own brotherhood, uh, you know, we lost Cincinnati Bible College. Well, one of the reasons we lost it mm-hmm. was because, in part, they lost focus, and they got focused on something other than, you know, a Bible college is to develop preachers. They forgot that. Right. And over a period of time, uh, it, it ate away at the, the foundations. I mean, that's what happened to Harvard. It's what happened to Yale. Yeah, they, were, yeah. they were preacher colleges. Uh, one of our colleges, I won't name them right now, but uh, they've gotten back. This is it's not happening. It's not working for us. We're just going to go back to training preachers. 
right? Great, you know, and it's a good solid cause, but they're realizing they've gotten off tracks, right? And so I don't worry about it. And the uniqueness of our brotherhood is that uh, there's no central organization, mm -hmm. and when you have no central organization, you've got nobody controlling uh, the, the purse strings except at the local church level. And so as a result, uh, we have uh, you know, Summit uh, Bible College over here at Peru. Right. All right. And it doesn't depend upon some central organization saying, we're going to set up a Bible college here. Some man had a vision. He set it up. It's a great college. Uh, Southwest that you're dealing with. Uh, Southwest is? Mid-South. Mid-South. Right. It's somewhere in the South. Yeah. So Mid-South, you know, they're having a, a preacher uh, uh, thing in, a, in the midst of it. That right. You're, a, you're a, a, a new preaching, preaching school. A preaching school. That is actually separate from the college, but they're allowing them to meet on the campus, and they're under their 501. Oh, well. Right. Because they realize there's a need that they're just not, they're not meeting right now. Yeah. But see, so. the beauty for us is we can do that. Because nobody controls us. Uh, I, I went to, I remember the, uh, oh, what they call it? Don DeWalt started a, uh, a one thing where he would get together with other parts of our brotherhood. And right, one body. One body is what they call right. it. And uh, I just happened to, to hear about, thought, why well, don't go to one? It did with, uh, I won't even say the group ones. They had a common theme with us. Uh, uh, restoring the early church. Right. And so they had a, a one body meeting with them because they're not part of our body. We our fellowship, kind of, right. Yeah. And they were preachers who preach and, and they have, we our preachers who preach and they had breakout groups. Did you ever go to the ones? I did. Yeah. I sure did. And it was the only time I've ever been. And so, um, yeah, I'm going, I'm just observing and the breakout groups, one guy from their group and one and me, we just seemed to be, we communicated well. And I noticed during the preaching times, uh, now they, their guys would get up and pray, and I had never heard more powerful prayers. They were great prayers. But when they got up to preach, it was as if they, you know, it wasn't if, they were reading off a piece of paper. Right. Now our guys would get up there, there's no paper. They're going just straight up from scripture and they're preaching their, their favorite sort of problem. Right. <laughs> and uh, so we got in our breakout group. I said, what's the deal? I said, why is it? Our guys get up there, and they almost off the cuff, they're preaching. Your guys are up there, and they're going from a script. What's the one? He says, well, they represent our denomination at this meeting. And so they have to prepare their sermons ahead of time, send them to headquarters, and have them approved. And they can't preach anything but what's in that script. Oh. And I thought, well, you dickens. <laughs> yeah. And we don't realize... The, the freedom we have in our brotherhood. Right. Uh, you know, part of the, I, I shared with a group of, of preachers one time, I says, you know, the, the advantage of the churches of Christ is there's no central organization and uh, no one tells us, uh, how do I say that? There's no central organization and we, we don't have to do anything we don't want to. Right. Says, our, our disadvantage as brothers, we have no central organization. <laughs> That's and, right. And nobody tells us what, we don't interact as much as we right. want. Right. You know. Uh, and we're doing that less now than we used to, I think. In, in, well, see, one thing we need to counter that is with, you know, uh, Kiwana having the revival. Right. Uh, we go to Kiwana. Right. We go to Wabash. We go to Buffalo. We go to all these different churches. Now, there's only like five to ten of us that go. But right. We're going to encourage that church. Right. Now, in this local uh, area, I picked up an idea from Southeast Christian Church. Uh, they had a couple of preachers at one of the, the, the classes they had there for preachers. All the classes they had at that, that kind of seminar were for people outside of preaching. Right. But they said, what you ought to do is have the preachers in the area get together and work on the sermons together. Yeah. So I never, never thought of that. Never heard of that. Right. So when I got back, we had a new guy over at Pisgah. We had a new guy over at Spring Creek. We had uh, uh, a guy been there forever at uh, Walton, and I, I pitched the idea to them. They said, "Sure." So from the, it's been about twenty six years now. We meet every Thursday at a different restaurant in town, and uh, we'll sit down. And there's no agenda. You know, I'll just say, you know, "What uh, what you preaching this Sunday?" And sometimes about 
uh, about once or twice a year, we'll get we'll get together and sit down, and for about four hours, we'll uh, we even plan out sermons we might preach together. Now that's great in theory, yeah, but it almost never works out in practicality. You know, <laughs> right. Some guy says, "Well, I don't want to preach that. I want to preach this." Fine, whatever you want to do, right. but you know, I, I need that because I'm not that smart to come up with sermon ideas. Now, you give me a scripture, I can preach all day long, but I having a sermon series, unless I'm preaching all the way through the book of Matthew, which took me two and a half years at the last church, God. that I don't do that. I don't think that way. So these guys help me to think in that way. Now, my what I bring to the table are my illustrations. And so they'll say, yeah, I can't, I don't know what to do. I said, well, try this illustration. Or, you know, if they're working on the same sermon series as I am, uh, I have, I work in, in the computer. I got a Word document that's dedicated to thoughts. What, when I read this text, what are those, what do, what do I think about? And I got one of those, you know, all the different scriptures that may tie in with that main scripture. And I have another document that's all illustrations that tie in with what I'm seeing there. And that, that document with my illustrations may go five or six pages. Mm-hmm. Now, I only use maybe two illustrations out of that, but I've got all that information now. When I try to put the sermon together, I can go back to my thoughts, I can go back to the, script, the various scriptures, I can go to my illustrations, and it makes it easier to formulate a sermon that speaks to me. Right. You know, Aaron Davis, I can't preach like Aaron Davis. I know that, I accept <laughs> it, I move on. You know, but when I preach... Uh, I try to ask myself, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Why does it matter to my audience that I tell them about this experience? And that's my, that's that's where I start from. If I can't explain to them why it matters, then I'm wasting my time. And it's right. not it's not enough for me to say, well, it's in the Bible, therefore I've got to preach it, and that's why it's important. What well, it is, but my audience isn't going to catch that. Right. So. Uh, you know, and my pattern, which is different than Aaron's, Aaron, uh, you know, he's, he just picks right up and he's moving. And when he's done, the, the train comes to a stop because he's, he's just, it's like a, a freight train going down the track. You better, you know, better stay, pay attention because otherwise you're going to lose him. Right. Uh, but he's good. He's really right. good. Now me, my, mine's, not a freight train. Mine's more like, uh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. <laughs> and uh, uh, what I do is I start out with an illustration, a song, a poem, a story, whatever, to catch their attention that ties in with what I see in the passage. Then I'll, I'll go through three or four or five points that tie into that passage. And every point's going to have an illustration, and it's going to have a scripture, and that's it. I don't do ten illustrations on one point. Right. Uh, Andy Stanley says, well, every sermon ought to have one point. Well, God bless you, Andy. You go for that. <laughs> but I seem to recall the Sermon on the Mount. There's more than one point there. Yeah. You know, so I'm sorry, that works for him, but don't tell me I've got to do that because right. that's not true. That's right. Uh, and so I don't, I don't pay attention to the, the great guns that try to tell you how to preach. I just say, I want to explain this to people so they understand it. When I get done, I want them to say, I want God. I want Jesus to control my life. If I can get to that point in the sermon, I've succeeded. Well, you noticed last night, I didn't have three points. Yeah. I had eight points <laughs> for the sermon. And, but, but and I, that, that is, so it helped yeah, out a Yeah, bit. and, and <laughs> that's, that's rare for me. I don't do eight points all the time. But, but four, sometimes, yes, and sometimes two. But whatever it is that's involved with that text. Uh, Something my grandfather, I've got a lot of good stuff from him. He was, yeah. he was an old-time evangelist. And one of the things he told me when first started preaching, he said, say what you need to say. Don't have to repeat it. Right. Say it one time. Say it well. Uh, you don't have to tell me you went to Bible college. If you did, they'll know. And, <laughs> and if you didn't, they may know that too. But he said it doesn't matter. He said, say what you got to say and give your invitation. Say them, shut up. You don't have to repeat it to make it longer. Uh, in, in one ministry I was at, my song there, I think I went 11 minutes, shortest sermon I ever, I've done since my first sermon. And it might have been, it might have been 14 or 15, but he, uh, I gave him the little signal, come on up and start, sure. start playing the, his guitar. And, and uh, he told me afterwards, he said, I, you know, I gave you that double take and I kept looking at you because I'm looking at my watch. And I'm thinking, what? And I said, I, 
I said what God gave me to say today. That's all I, and to do any more would have been wrong, yeah. you know, so say what you got to say and, and be quiet. Up, yeah. Yeah. But you know, the different, one thing that, that we're talking about, since we're into preaching, talking about preaching now, and this is going to be a good one for preachers to listen to, I think. Um, I think uh, one, one of the situations I've seen uh, that happened in our church, my wife came from what we know as the non-instrumental brethren, mm-hmm. fine people, love them, mm-hmm. love them all. And, but, but if, if you have a visitor in your church and they stay once they see you have an instrument and they listen to the sermon, uh, they'll generally go out, they like your message, they'll say, that's a fine lesson, preacher. Yeah. And, and uh, I used to wonder about that, but then when we go on vacation, we visit with her family, and, and, and to me, it was like going to Sunday school twice. Yeah. And, 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 and they were good lessons, but, they, but I, I told Beth one time, I said, I, I want to go to a Christian church from on vacation because I want to get preached to. I don't get preached to very much. And I said, these are fine people, fine lessons. But I'm finding that among the instrumental churches now, mm-hmm. among our brethren, we're getting an awful lot of lessons. We're getting an awful lot of information. Uh, that's easy that's to follow Yeah, and, and, and we, we're giving information and we're not, we're not giving a sermon that says, okay, now do something about this right. and bring us to a conclusion. All right, it's time to make a decision. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And, and we're just imparting, we're adding to the intellect of our listeners rather than touching their heart. Yeah. And, and the heart, uh, preaching to the mind, I think in our brotherhood, we're, we're real good about preaching to the mind. But the scriptures do say, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Yeah. And we need to touch the heartstrings. Oh, yeah. and, and, uh, and I think that's, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be critical, but I'm just saying, uh, I've, we've fallen into a lesson, uh, bringing uh, so much a, a lesson, maybe a little dramatics to it or whatever, rather than, than trying to say, okay, here it is. We've, we've got to change. And maybe I'm wrong. And you'll, you'll tell me if I am. But <laughs> no, the thing is, it's and yeah, you know, I, I, George Fall over at Summit had me come over and preach one lesson for three hours on how to preach. It killed me. Yeah, you know, there's, there's guys that they preach. You know, for that that college, they preach three hours. Uh, you know, like six to eight times through the through that class. Wow. Okay. Three hours. I'm done. I've told you everything I know. Okay. <laughs> And the reason is I have, for Jeff Strite, I have one pattern that uh, I look at the scripture and I look for that one thing that's going to excite my passion. Right. Okay. And if I can find that one thing, it's like everything just blossoms. And, uh, you know, part of the way to get people enthused is to tell a little bit of a joke or uh, tell something on myself. I sure. I have, you know, uh, with Aaron, he'll say, you know, if this is what you do, he nods his head up and down. Yeah. He says, "Jordan is an You know, I shake my head back and forth. And uh, my thing is, uh, um, you might ask me, and I'll say a statement, and then I'll wait. And they'll, you know, by this time they've got the pattern. They they ask me what I asked. Okay, they repeat it back to me. I said, "I'm glad you asked me that question." Uh, just like Aaron does with his. Uh, or I'll, you know, one of the things I ever tell you, I have a grandson. And then my grandson becomes my illustration. But I've said it so often, it's a joke. Right. Everybody knows it's a joke. And so I get them engaged with a little bit of humor. Or, or I'll, uh, uh, I'll tell them a story that uh, I remember being impressed by a revival that uh, I heard at the first church I was serving. And the guy told about uh, some miners that were trapped in a coal mine and talking about that you know they couldn't reach the outside but eventually those who were outside had a, a cord with a mic that they uh, put down so now they're still trapped in that mine but now there was hope because there was a voice from outside <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's good and I, I preached roughly that same kind of sermon about 10 years ago and I had in my files, I collected those illustrations for that moment when I was going to be able to preach it from that text. Uh, but you give me a text and I'll preach it. And you know, it will be a lesson in part because... Sure. Uh, well, you're going to teach something in preaching. Sure, well, you hope so. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you watch Aaron. He does exactly. You do the same right. thing. But uh, if you don't get people engaged, if you don't get them to understand you got to do something about this, then you yeah. failed. That's, that's, yeah. And like you said earlier, you're thinking, 
why is this important to the people who are listening? Yes. Why is this important to the people who are listening? And what's it going to do to change? Well, you, you heard one of my key phrases is challenge is good, change is better. And, yeah. and, and we, we, we want to challenge you, but if, it, if you're not changed, then what good is there? We, there needs to be, you know, to be challenged is good, but, but God sent Jesus to change us, you know, to, and, and that's what I look for when I preach is that people be changed. Now they may not walk the aisle to be changed. They, they walk out the door and they say, this is, this is what I'm going to do about that. And, and this is where it, it, it touched my life. Yeah. And the humor, I think humor is great. I, I, I've talked with some guys who think, well, that's, you're just being a jokester. I said, no, I, uh, I don't think you should tell st funny stories if you're not good at telling funny stories. Yeah. You know, I mean, don't do it for that reason. If it's going to drop on you, it ruins you. Yeah, it'd be like my, my, my mother used to try to tell me a joke, and she, she'd start it off, and she'd say, no, 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 that's the ending. And she'd back up, and she'd say, no, no, that's not right. You know, And, and I, I loved to listen to her tell a joke because just the joke was her telling the joke. Yeah. You know? So, But I, I heard someone say years ago, if, if, if that doesn't come natural with you, don't try to do it. You know? Well, what I found is I, I try to see what other preachers preach, and some of the best preachers out there are black preachers. Yes, absolutely. And the pattern I've noticed amongst black preachers, the, I mean the really good ones, they'll repeat the same point three times in different phrases. Mm -hmm. They'll bang, bang, bang. And it, it, it registers in your mind because how they do it. Yes. And, uh, and I, so every once in a while, I'll do that as I'm preparing. Now, I, I manuscript my sermon. Mm -hmm. uh, now, some guys can't do that, and I used to not manuscript, but I've got... A sound uh, uh, board people that they need to know where the sermon's going, so they're going to put the scripture up. Right, and uh, it's helped me because uh, I can craft what I'm doing. Now, what annoys my people back in the sound booth is I don't know I stick with the script because <laughs> you know my point is not to stay with the script; it's to have uh, a place to come back to. Uh, who was the guy? He was a preacher in Washington, D.C. They made a movie about him back in the 50s. Oh, uh, uh, One Man Story or something like that. Yeah, was he, was, the name he wasn't of our brotherhood. No, no. He was a very good preacher. Right. He was yeah. from like Scotland or something. Yes. And I got a hold of one of his, uh, uh, it was in the back of the book. They showed how he put a sermon together. And what he did was, it was like an outline form. And I thought, that's pretty good. Because what happens is you, you, you catch the the main point, and you know if you get away from the, the script, now you come back, you can find it easier. So I kind of pattern myself a little bit after him, but I also color-coded my sermons. All the, all the scripture are in red, uh, and then I'll go blue or brown or whatever, or I'll even highlight in yellow certain things I want to come back to. It's, it's gotten so color-coded now. It does, it's not as good as it used to be because it's everything's color-coded. But the point is, I can get away from it. And I try to, you know, if I have an open illustration, I get totally away from it. Say, uh, Aaron, he memorizes everything. Yeah. I hate people like that. Because they do stuff I can't do. Uh, and there are people that can yeah. memorize their, their, their main points or whatever. And they, they do better because that's what they do. Right. That doesn't work for me. Doesn't work for me either. Yeah. So you just have to know whatever preacher he is, once he finds his groove, whatever mm -hmm. works for what he's doing, as long as he's giving the passion, convicting people where they're going, I don't care how he does it, as long as he's truthful to the scriptures and uh, is faithful to God. Right. Then you're good. Uh, and they're all, you know, I'm impressed by the number of preachers in our brotherhood who are really good preachers. Yes, there are um, some really good ones. Uh, what's the guy's name? Um, have you been to Hillsboro? No, I have not. Okay. Um, <laughs> My schedule have you never allowed. Pigeon Forge? I have not. Oh. Again. Uh, well, whatever. And I, and I I'm, I'm, I'm usually somewhere else. <laughs> he is. He's a southern boy. Yeah. And uh, uh, he doesn't think he preaches very well. Now, oh, man, I like to listen to this guy. Mm -hmm. And I showed his video to one of our, uh, one of our Sunday nights. They weren't impressed either, but I was <laughs> because I like what he does. Mm -hmm. All right, and he told a, a story about um, he was out bush hogging 
his field. And of course, he's got a southern accent as he's talking about it. And he said, he hit a nest of locusts. And he says, they were all over me. And he says, you can't see anything. And he says, they're only that big. But you get a bunch of them together, they can really make life miserable. He says, the church needs to realize we are individuals, but as a body of believers, we can have an impact. Mm-hmm. And I remember, they, and I've got my files now, because I remember that illustration spoke to me. Um, and so whenever I find an illustration that speaks to me, like one you used last night about the, the man, the eighth astronaut to the moon. Yes, that's okay. a powerful one, isn't yeah. it? And I don't know if I got that in my file. I'm going to check it out. Irwin. 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 Yeah. And so if it's not there, it will be soon. Right. Because that's how I build it. I just I look a little here, look a little there, and I pull it all together. And they become uh, like fertilizer for the field. And the fact that I have all those illustrations in one file, those illustrations then uh, help me form the sermon. I mean, they're not scripture, but I've chosen them because they seem to reflect something about the scripture I'm seeing. Right. And now... I told uh, one of our fellow preachers how to prepare our sermons. He said, that would drive me nuts. Because I tell him, I said, I, I start with the scripture. I don't know how I'm going to start. I don't know what I'm going to do in the middle. And I don't know how I'm going to end it until I get there. Right. Well, some guys, that's not going to work. You know, they got to know roughly where the, the land lays before they can get started. Right. Well, for me, that's no fun. Yeah. You know, it's it's like an artist, you know, that he's I'm going to throw some paint on the on the, on the canvas and I want to see what it looks like and then I'm going to work with that well I throw the scripture on the canvas and then yeah. wherever it takes me I'm a happy man because uh, I learn stuff as I preach and me what too. I preach has shaped my thinking down through the years right. uh, and you know, this church already had a good mentality before I got here but the things that I preach because of the things I have learned uh, feed into where they're at to the point where, I mean, we've not had any uh, drama in this church to speak of for 28 years that I've been here. You've been here 20, 27, 28 20 years? 27, 28 yeah. years, huh? But, uh, you know, we had one, one uh, group come to our church. They were, uh, they had a problem at the church they were at. And uh, they were upset because one of the elders was not making a decision they thought was appropriate. And I see where they're coming from. But the problem is you got people that come from a church and they've left because they're mad and they come to your church. If you're not careful, they'll be mad at your church too. You know, favorite story in yeah. podcast, yeah. Jack Bliffin, 92 years old, still preaching. He used, yeah. to, be, he used to be the uh, uh, president of Mid-South Christian College years ago. He's down in Florida. He's got three sons in the ministry. And I've already interviewed two of those guys. But Jack was telling a story. I got a chance to interview him just um, before the end of last year. And he tells about a church he took uh, back east. And the church had moved, and some people didn't want to move. So a hundred of them stayed there. They were not moving. They were staying in that church. And he became the minister of the new church in the old building. And he said over the next uh, several years... They, uh, that that was the mad church. The people who were mad, yeah. didn't want to move out, stayed there. And all the mad people from all the mad churches in the area came to that, came church. To that church. And he said, it was the mad church. And he got a call to come and be president of Mid-South Christian College. And I said, so you took it? And he said, I ran. <laughs> <laughs> Great story. I encourage our listeners that you go back and listen to Jack. Well, see, the thing about it is, Scripture talks to people. Okay? Right. I don't have to talk to them. Yeah, and so uh, one of the things I preach is uh, it's out of the Old Testament where David says, I'll not touch the Lord's anointed. Okay, so I'm addressing that. And these people are very faithful. They come on Sunday night too. And I'm preaching that. And it's more of a teaching, preaching atmosphere. Right. And uh, I knew they were going to ask the question, well, what about this over here? I said, well, here's the deal. Whose church is it? Is it your church? Or is it God's church? Now, the problem is, you're upset with this elder because he viewed it as his church. I said, he's not as bad as Saul was. Saul was a wicked king. He wanted to kill David. 
It says, and David refused to touch the Lord's anointed. We've got to learn to be patient with God. Now, but I was fired from two different churches, and I stayed in those churches for seven years, where a lot of preachers would have you know, pulled up stakes and moved on. No, that's not my job. My job is to serve God. And if I can fix that church, I'll fix that church. But I'm not going to let sin uh, be unchallenged, even in those settings. That's right. So, uh, you know, at, at, the, at the first church, <laughs> after they got rid of me, they hired uh, a preacher who'd been divorced. His wife was divorced. And one of the elders' wives had heard to say, we can control this man. Well, that's a compliment to me because that means they couldn't control me. Right. Okay. Because I didn't work for them. I worked to make them successful. If they had a dream, I'd do everything I could to make sure that dream was fulfilled. But I'm not moving if we're going to deal with sin in the camp. And in both situations, there was a certain amount. Uh, the second church was not as obvious a sin. Uh, but they didn't like me because I just wasn't moving. Right. Uh, and I wouldn't get mad at him. That made him even more frustrated. Yeah, and there's a passage where Samuel is my hero. I don't know why Samuel's my hero. He just <laughs> is. Uh, I mean, all the Old Testament, the New Testament, he's the man I, I identify with. And at one time, of course, you remember, uh, his sons had been doing stuff they ought not to do. Right. People are not happy. So they're trying to get rid of the the pattern that was so they can have a king like all the other nations. Samuel's upset because this is personal. This is his job they're trying to get rid of. And God comes to him and says, Samuel, don't fret. They're not, they're not opposing you. They're opposing me. He says, you pray for them. You tell them what's going to happen. And you stay the course. You know, he never left Israel. That was his, that was his congregation. Right. He stayed there. And uh, so in, in both situations, I stayed the course. And I, ref I just kept in mind, it's not about me. Yeah, they, they say they're mad at me. They may accuse me of all kinds of stuff. But it's not about me. Right. It's about God. So I'm afraid for a church that does that to the preacher. Yes. Because God is not mocked. Okay. I'm okay. You know, every time I got fired, I went to a church that's better than the one I left. Yep. Because I stayed the course. And in uh, when I stayed the course, what was tough for them was I didn't allow them to, to hear me ever say anything negative about them from the pulpit or to their face. Uh, you know, I was always respectful. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. Whatever. And uh, I never slapped them down. Uh, I would challenge them, but I never allowed it to become personal. They wanted to, because once they get it personal, then I'm the Yeah, I'm you the lose boss. when it becomes personal. Yeah. And, and so, I know that from experience. Yeah, you've been yeah. there. Yeah. And most preachers have been around yeah. a long time. Sure. They've been there. They've done that. Right. Uh, but the key thing is to remember, they're not my boss. Or as one person, you're not the boss of me. Uh, right. You know, God's the boss of me. But I've got to remember, God is in control, even when I don't think he is. Right. Because you look down through scripture, there's a lot of times you think, my favorite passage out of Jacob's life, of Joseph's life, you know, three times, or four times it says, and the Lord was with him. The Lord, why repeat it four times? Because if you didn't read it, you wouldn't see it. That's right. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's no, you know, why is God allowing this? Well, the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. And that is the one thing as as preachers, elders, whatever we may be, need to cling to is the fact that God is in charge. The Lord will be with us if we're faithful. Thy kingdom come, not, yeah, not my kingdom come. Right. And, and it's tough. It, it is. Yeah. And there's a lot of personal kingdom building uh, going on. And that's that's where we get in this. But I think what you said is very good. And I hope preacher friends are listening, that it is not you. We serve people, but we serve people because we serve Jesus first and foremost. Yeah. And, and because of that, we're going to be a servant to other people. We're going to wash feet. We're going to do whatever it takes. But 
Uh, we should be surprised if we're persecuted because, in, in, in fact, if we're followers of Christ, it's yeah, going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, I guess if you're a young preacher, you're a little more surprised that it happens within the church sometimes. Oh, I was shocked. Uh, yeah, I was too. <laughs> I was too. Uh, I was uh, I, I was physically attacked as a young preacher. Oh, wow. And, and uh, uh, I was, because we were baptizing so many people. He didn't like that. <laughs> didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. But, you know, uh, like I said, I've been at it now 46 years, uh, uh, 47 years. I'm my 47th year of preaching. And, um, you know, when it comes to, to learning uh, on, on what we're doing, I think studying other preachers, uh, the ins, the outs, the goods, the bads, right. is a good thing. Uh, you don't know this because we don't know each other except we're getting to know each other a lot better. But I didn't attend Bible college. Um, and the way I learned to preach, besides I, I bought a lot of good, solid books to, to sure. study uh, as far as commentaries and things that, I, that had a good basis I could trust. But I, I would get tapes. I would go to seminars and I would listen to preachers and I would study how they how they presented their message and how the people reacted. Yeah. I, I wasn't wanting to become something I was not, but I wanted to learn what yeah. I could do that I was comfortable with that fit me, sure. that would reach people. And and I I bought when I could buy uh, cassette tapes when cassette tapes yeah. was a big thing of other <laughs> preachers. It didn't matter what denomination they were. I mean, I knew what was right scripturally, but I wanted to listen to style and sure. and, and and how you present something. So that's what I was trying to do. And uh, I, I, I think that we can either go get our education or we can constantly get our education. And listening to podcasts, whatever we can do, we can always learn something. No matter how long we've been doing this. Yeah. Uh, you've been doing, how long have you been in ministry? Well, let's see, 14 years plus 28. It's 42 years. 42 I mean, years. That's not really good yeah. sometimes. Well, yeah, you, you you were a little older than me when you actually got started because you went off to some college and did that first. And, and uh, well, we're just about out of time. Can you believe that? Uh, let me ask you, uh, um, with the way those things are going, what do, you, what do you see as maybe the greatest challenge facing the church or individual Christians uh, or the ministry going from here forward? You can pick any one or take all three. doesn't matter. <laughs> But uh, you've got you've got about two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes. <laughs> well, the big thing for me is, uh, yeah, I'm a man who looks at life as an opportunity. In fact, I tell our, our family minister we get lost going places sometimes. And I said it's an adventure. We're not lost. We're on an adventure. And for me, ministry is an adventure. Oh boy, yeah. yeah. And whether you know it's washing the feet of Judas. Or it's dealing with Saul and saying, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointing, whatever it is. I know that on the other side of that mountain, there's something special. So I'm not going to worry about the mountain. I'm not going to worry about the things I face. And our brotherhood should not. Right. Our brotherhood should say, we've got the best message out there. Mm -hmm. you know, and we've got the best system out there. And it is. It is uh, as fine as it could possibly be. The problem is, uh, we begin to look at the other denominations and say, we want a king like the other nations. Right. And Or I want to be able to preach like this. Or I can't answer this question. If I can't answer that question, yeah, I'm not comfortable preaching it. And, well, find the answer then, for That's right. sake, you know, because you know what the scripture says. So just because I can't explain it doesn't mean it's not right. It just means that's what scripture says. I've got to figure out a way to explain it. Right. And... So for me, it's an adventure, and our brotherhood should look at it as an adventure. It is something that we've been challenged to do, and we've been given the best tools and the best. Uh, God has the best force uh, possible out there, and we just have to look for it. And we, you know, that path is there. It's just a matter of finding. All right. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you taking time to to visit with me today and and share with our listeners and. Uh, I hope that, that uh, God has blessed you in this time. He certainly blessed me yeah. to get to know you. I, I was excited when I found out this is where we're staying in our motel, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I know this guy. And, I, and Aaron, I had never had an opportunity to sit in a service with Aaron preaching, and I was really glad. We, 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 oh, I'm telling you what, we, we, uh, uh, 
we drove back to the motel and Beth, Beth on the way back said, I like that. I really oh, like yeah. that. And, and, and I had to agree with her. I did say, did I ever have that kind of energy? And she, <laughs> said, she said, well, you did, but we're going we're gonna to say now you have mature confidence. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I, I appreciate that. That's why I love that woman so much. But, um, well, I hope this has been good for our listeners. I, particularly, I think it's probably been good for our preacher listeners this time. Um, if it has been a blessing to you, I hope that you'll share it with your friends and co-workers in Christ. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.